good to see everyone out this evening. If you have a Bible with you, I invite you to open it to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. <coughs> I uh, probably should have gotten the, the, this information to Glenn before services, but I just forgot to do that. But uh, Paige has kind of started feeling ill again tonight, so that's why she's not with me this evening. She, she uh, boy, that, that uh, pregnancy sickness, that, that really... That really does sting, so uh, I uh, would appreciate prayers on her behalf, also mine, to be as understanding, as, as helpful as I possibly can, um, but that's why she's not here with me tonight, and so I uh, just wanted to make sure that, that I got that information out. Like I said, if you want to go ahead and turn to Second Peter chapter 1, really what I want to do uh, this evening is look at... Um, Three verses here. We're going to read uh, verses 9 through 11 in just a moment. And what I want to do is break it up really one point per verse uh, because I think that what Peter says here is, is well, just interesting to say the least. But I, I also think that there is, um, th I think that there is a lot of impactful application that I think you, you see that, and I know it's going to be a shocker when I say this, but from cover to cover. Uh, from even the Old Testament, you see some things that God told his people to do that we still see the sent out telling God's people to do and how they are to view their relationships with God, how they are to, um, how they are to um, act uh, specifically because of that relationship. In first, uh, Second Peter chapter 1, in verse 10, the ESV translates this verse as, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. And so really, uh, that will be the, the main point of the entire lesson, is this idea of confirming our calling. What does that mean? What does that look like? Well, uh, there's a lot of things that we can say about that. There's a lot of different passages we could go to. I think about Ephesians especially when he talks about walking in the manner, uh, a manner worthy of your calling. Uh, incidentally, we're not going to be actually hitting that, that passage too much tonight, but, but there's a lot we could say. I really just want to focus on what Peter says here. You remember that Peter uh, in, in this first chapter here says a few things by way of reminder. And he says, well, I'm, I'm not going to apologize for that. This, this is good. These are things we need to be reminded of. What's interesting is that in verse 9, he talks, I, I, I think um, one of the points that I think he is suggested here is this idea of making sure that we remember some things. It says in verse 9, for he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplies to you. So the three points that I want to make tonight is verse by verse. And verse 9, I think what you find is this idea of remembering where we were called from, what we were saved from. In verse 10, I, th I think what we find is this idea of maintenance, maintaining that uh, walk making sure that we continually walk in a worthy manner, uh, a manner worthy of that calling. And then finally, in verse 11, looking forward ultimately to where we're going, uh, which helps us keep that resolve in walking in that manner. <clears throat> well, again, 
in verse 9, I think uh, there's a reason that he, as he gives this list, just the verses prior to this, we'll come back to it in a little bit, but in verses 5 and onward, you see a list of of qualities, of characteristics that he's uh, giving to uh, Christians. He's telling them this is what you need to try and add into your life, what you need to try and add on to, abound more in. And then at the end of all of that, he says that if you lack these qualities, then one is blind or short-sighted. But he has forgotten his purification. And that is, uh, I think, very interesting. I think you find a constant reminder from cover to cover, uh, from God and from his prophets to his people saying, make sure you don't forget where you came from. Over in Exodus chapter 13, Exodus chapter 13 I want to look at just a couple of passages here in the Old Testament. We won't uh, get into a ton of passages, but over in Exodus chapter 13, in verse 3, you remember that this is um, right really before they actually uh, are fully delivered from Egypt. This has been promised, and it's clear that God has won the victory over Egypt, at least so far with the ten plagues. And Pharaoh says that he's going to allow them to leave, and so uh, as they're preparing uh, to leave, they are, God gives them uh, some rules about the, really, the consecration of the firstborn. He talks about the, the, the Passover um, and the, uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. But in verse 3 of chapter 13, it says, Moses just repeats what God had told him to tell the people. Remember this day in which you went out from Egypt, from the house of slavery. For by a powerful hand, the Lord brought you out from this place, and nothing leavened shall be eaten. But then skipping down to verse 8. After, giving, uh, after talking a little bit more about this deliverance, in verse 8 he says, You shall tell your son on that day, saying, It is because of what the Lord did for me when I came. Or it uh, should have started in, in, uh, verse, in verse 7, I guess. Unleavened bread shall be eaten throughout the seven days, and nothing leavened shall be seen among you, nor shall any leaven be seen among you in all of your borders. You shall tell your son on that day, saying, It is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. And it shall serve as a sign to you on your hand and as a reminder on your forehead that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a powerful hand the Lord brought you out of Egypt. Therefore you shall keep this ordinance at its appointed time from year to year. And you see this, uh, again, repeatedly throughout the Old Testament. The idea that you need to make sure that these words don't leave your mouth. You need to make sure that when your sons and daughters come and ask you why we do these things, that you have an answer for it. And that you tell them about these stories. You tell them about this deliverance. And he's even, uh, we talked about this before uh, uh, vaguely, but as you look at some of the laws that he makes, some of, uh, sometimes, not all of the time, you know, he'll, he'll say, you be holy. Why? Because I am holy. And, and that's the basis for why we are trying to strive for holiness. Because he is. We're trying to reflect that holiness. And there are some other laws that he gives, that, and, and simply the basis for that is you just remember how you were treated in Egypt. So you treat your slaves in, in a better way than you were treated in, in Egypt. And so you see that as a basis for some of the laws as you go throughout the law of Moses. Over in Deuteronomy chapter 8, a very similar uh, teaching is given here in Deuteronomy chapter 8. But beginning in verse 10, Deuteronomy chapter 8 beginning in verse 10, it says, When you have eaten and are satisfied... You shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. This is after they have taken the the promised land that God said he was going to give to them. After this is actually successful, he says, Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his ordinances and his statutes which I am commanding you today. 
Otherwise, when you have eaten and are satisfied and have built good houses and lived in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold multiply and all that you have multiplies, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. He led you through the great and terrible wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water. He brought water for you out of the rock of Flint. In the wilderness, he fed you manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do good for you in the end. Otherwise, you may say in your heart, my power and strength of my hand have made me this wealth. But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving you power to make wealth, that he may confirm his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. It shall come about if you ever forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them. I testify against you today that you will surely perish like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so you shall perish because you would not listen to the voice of the Lord your God. Now, I know that's a bit more of a lengthy passage, uh, ten, or, uh, well, I, yeah, 10 verses there that we just read through. But all of it, I think, is pertinent to what we're talking about. Again, he reminds them uh, of a few things. One, don't you ever forget why, you get to, why you've gotten to this promised land. Don't ever forget why you're even living at this point. The very reason that you were able to wake up another morning and take a breath, another breath of life is because of me. If I did not get involved, if I did not interfere, you would still be in chains. If it wasn't for my power, you would still be slaves. And all throughout, he makes sure that they, or at least he, he tries to make sure that they remember that you were delivered by my power, not your own. And so be grateful. And I think it's interesting that as he goes into uh, the temptation of how they might think that they have done all these good things for themselves. What does he start with in verse 10? But when you receive all these things, when you're satisfied, make sure you bless the Lord. Thank God for all of the things that you are given. Maybe there's a lesson there in the prayers that we give just for something maybe as common as the food that we eat for every meal. Make sure that we uh, don't follow after that same pattern. But ultimately, I, I, the reason I wanted to bring all of this up is because as you see this language just, just uh, steeped in the Old Testament, uh, I think you find that a similar kind of language in the New Testament. We already read 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, verses 1 through 4 last week as we were discussing shadows and types of Jesus. And I'll just read it very quickly again. But what he says is, For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them and the rock was Christ. Verse 5, Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased for they were laid low in the wilderness. Now, these things happened as examples for us so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. And as you see in Romans chapter 15 and verse 4, all of the things that happened in uh, previous times, they're for our instruction, they're for our learning. Now, I think that you see this, this same kind of language of bondage even into the New Testament. I don't think that idea of remember Egypt is, is uh, completely dismissed when you leave the Old Testament. Over in Romans chapter 6, as he is talking about at the very beginning of the chapter, how do, you, how do you become dead to sins? How do you become alive to God? You must be baptized into his death to raise in newness of his life. Well, you go on, and in the same passage that talks about the need for baptism, for that very reason, look at how he talks about sin. 
in Romans chapter 6, verse 17. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. Actually, I think the, the other Luke, Luke Edmonds, just used uh, uh, this passage, or he, he even read a few other verses throughout Romans chapter 6 a few weeks ago when talking about freedom that we have in Christ, the liberty that we have in Christ. Liberty from what? Freedom from what? The bondage of sin. We too were once enslaved. And maybe there are some in the audience tonight that are still enslaved by sin. And they are under that heavy yoke of Satan. Um, and, and here God comes in and says, I can free you from that. And even after we are liberated and delivered from that, we have our uh, own exodus to a, to a degree. Do we look back at that salvation? Uh, do we look back at our baptism and say, oh, well, that was all my doing? Really? <laughs> yes, you, yes, you had to make a choice. You had to make the choice to, you know... Uh, accept God's invitation. You had to make the choice to accept that power that would work in you. But guess what? The victory does not go to you. Who does it go to? But we always say over and over again with much emphasis, Jesus Christ and him crucified. And it is through that, it is through our contact with his blood that we are liberated from that bondage. And so uh, I think that this is, I think that you still see the same language for us today when it comes to that bondage. And I think that the, one of the lessons we are to remember as we read in uh, 2 Peter chapter uh, 1 and verse 9 is don't forget the bondage that God delivered you from. And don't ever get to the point that Israel got to where they thought, oh, we didn't need him in the first place. <laughs> Be so careful. Be cautious about that kind of arrogant mindset, that kind of um, willfully ignorant mindset that the, that the Israelites brought upon themselves that we don't fall in the same pattern. Well, going further than that, don't forget where you were when Christ died for you. Not only don't forget that it was God's power that actually saves us, that liberates us from that bondage, but we also need to make sure that we don't forget just how far away from God we were when he gave that sacrifice. Over in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 4. It says, But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So again, where were we? What were we? We were dead. We can't say that, that, we, had, that, that we were alive. We can't say that we, but we were dead in our transgressions, dead in our sins. And we had a debt that we could not pay. And what does Jesus do? He comes in and he, he pays that debt for us. Hoping that we'll accept that invitation. Hoping that we'll accept that, uh, that grace. So that way we will share that um, salvation with him. Colossians chapter 2 says some pretty similar things, I would say. But I, I want to go mainly over to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. 
Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 6. Beginning in verse 6 of Romans chapter 5, it says, For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Who did he die for? The ungodly. But then he adds on to that. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. I, I will just say in that verse, I, I don't think that there needs to be, me personally, I don't think that there needs to be much debate about is there, is there a big difference between the righteous man or the good man. I, I think it's just essentially saying the same thing. Almost, it's very hard to find someone who, uh, who uh, just anyone would die for. Um, and so whether it's a righteous man, whether it's a good one, no matter who it is, uh, I think the main point is that even if it is a good man, uh, one will hardly die for that man. But then moving on in verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. So we were dead in our transgressions. Not only that, we were helpless at that time. Not only that, but we were uh, enemies of God, it says in verse, in verse 10. And for his enemies, he was willing to be beaten and bloodied. For his enemies, he was willing for that blood to be shed and the body to be broken. I think that that kind of helps us when it comes time to uh, partake of the Lord's Supper. And we, not only are we thinking about that covenant that we have entered into with our Lord, but we're also thinking about the fact that we truly were utterly inadequate, completely unequipped to save ourselves. But here comes Jesus, and he says, even though... Even though it's you that put me on the cross, even though it's your sins, that means that I have to face this penalty. I still want you to uh, wash yourself in that blood. I want you to receive the benefits that could come from this. And I just think that that deepens that our, our mindset, our contemplation as we think about that sacrifice that he gave for us and continue to think about the covenant that he did for us or that we entered in with him well not only are are we not supposed to forget just where we were when he died for us but i also think we need to make sure back in second peter chapter one and verse nine he uses the word purification having forgotten his purification from his former sins i think um there's a few things that we could say about this back in Ephesians chapter 2 at the beginning of the chapter he says and you were dead in your trespasses and sins we've already read uh, uh, that notion in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that is no now working in the sons of disobedience among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature children of wrath even as the rest so not only are we to make sure that we remember just how much we needed Christ, but we need to remember how we need to, uh, what we need to keep ourselves from, the way we used to walk. We need to remember the sins that got us to that point. And remember the habits, the routines, the choices that we made that actually put him on the cross. And don't forget uh, the, the caution that we are to have when it comes to those things. Over in Titus chapter 2, Titus chapter 2, 
Titus chapter 2 and verse 11 beginning. It says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to, be, to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good, for good deeds. Now, again, especially that, that idea of being zealous for good deeds, you go back to Ephesians chapter 2 and you see that uh, even more in verses 8 and onward, that we were created, that it was by his work that we are saved, but we are created for more work, for good works. We are to not only uh, be about those things, but we are to be zealous for those good works. Now, um, I'll just say... The first point is usually always the longest in my lesson, so I hope that you, as I went, especially through that first sub-point, that y'all are just like, if that is just the first, very first point he's making, this is going to be a long one. I, that, I, I wanted to make sure that I, I fully explained what I was trying to in Exodus 13 and Deuteronomy chapter 8, so uh, we, we went a little bit quicker through some of these passages. But ultimately, I, I hope you understand that what, he, what I think some of the things Peter's trying to get across is you can't forget how much you needed Christ. You can't forget the ways that you used to walk that you must stay away from today. Because that old man that was put away, that old man that was put to death, as we read about in Romans chapter 6 in the first six verses, he's always trying to regain control. Don't think that when you've put that old man away that those desires, no, they'll never crop up again. No. Actually, it is when, like we just read in Deuteronomy chapter 8, it's when you're most comfortable. It's when you have gained the victory that you feel the safest. Now, we should feel security. We should feel confidence in, in the uh, promises that God gives us about his salvation and his grace. But at the same time, at the same time, don't be like Israel, who allowed their lack of wariness of the, of, of the ways of sin, of that old bondage that was supposed to represent a deeper bondage of sin. They allowed that to come into their lives, and it sprouted not just in, in subtle rebellions, but it turned into outright idolatry, where they would get to the point of even sending their children, their sons and their daughters, into the flames for Molech or for other idols that the world had offered. And so don't think that, don't think that oh, this is the 21st century. We're above that. Yeah, yes, we are. We're so above that. And yet you still see millions of children being given, offered essentially on the altar of Molech, even to this day in America. Don't, don't think that we have somehow progressed into a certain level of sophistication in our culture. Those things creep back in. They don't have to look exactly the same. Idolatry doesn't have to be just bowing down to wooden stone. It can be bowing down to uh, merely just uh, the... the the, the scare tactics of our current culture. So we need to be careful about those things. So the question is, have you forgotten the, any of these things? Are you blind or short-sighted, as Peter says? Make sure that you regain that sight, regain that focus, and think about and make sure that we stay away from uh, those things that kept us from God in the first place. Well, next, not only do I think are we supposed to uh, remember what we were saved from, but we are supposed to maintain what God has called us to. In verse 10, therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. And it, you read something like that. You will never stumble. When we talk about stumbling, what is al almost always the way that we put it? 
We, it's usually a disclaimer. Well, nobody's perfect. We're all going to stumble. And, and, I, and I say that from time to time. So I'm not saying that, that, that that's wrong. But at the same time, when Peter talks about stumbling, he says, if you practice these things, you never will. If you try to, as much as possible, as we were talking about earlier this morning, you're truly seeking God, striving to look as much like him as possible, striving to reflect the, his holiness. Listen, you won't stumble. Um, I, I, I think that there's always room for that disclaimer that we give because guess what? We're just not perfect. And there's going to be moments where we have to pray to that advocate that we have in heaven, uh, Jesus Christ the righteous. But remember how Peter talks about this. You don't have to get to that point. Very often, I think we, we immediately go to that, I don't know, maybe just because uh, we understand how much work it's going to take to make sure that we uh, are, are truly trying to apply those, those uh, lessons that God wants us to learn. Well, uh, actually getting into, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself and getting outside the outline. Paige always tells me that that's never a good sign. So uh, back to the outline. Uh, at the beginning of the uh, chapter here, Second Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 4, I, what Peter indicates not only in the second epistle but in the first epistle is that we are to maintain a constant reflection of that holiness as we've been talking about. In verse 4, For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. I, I love that verse because it says that we are partakers of the divine nature. Well, uh, you go back over to 1 Peter again. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 14. And Peter says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. Again, going back to that last point. Don't be conformed to the former ways that you used to walk. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Again, that standard of why is it that we need to be trying to look as holy as possible? Because God is. And what am I trying to do? Look just as much like him as I possibly can. I think we all have people in our lives where we look up to them and we think that that is someone I want to I want to emulate as much as possible. And if people would and if people say, man, he kind of reminds me of this, that or the other. Uh, honestly, my dad is one of those people for me. The, the level of faithfulness that he has shown. Uh, I don't know how many of you know too much of, of my familial history, but uh, my mom and dad, they separated a long time ago. Uh, and it, it wasn't scriptural by any means. But my dad, he never, never became unfaithful to God. He never even became unfaithful to his wife who decided to leave. And in fact, to this day, still just saying, I'll take you back. And I look at that and I just think, wow, that, that is what I want to, that's what I want to look like as a husband. That level of faithfulness. I look at Bible teachers like Brother Tom Holly or Brother Stephen Russell. And, and, you know, sometimes people, I think, have said it as an insult. They've said, you know, sometimes while you're preaching, you, you kind of remind me of, of Stephen Russell. And I'm just like, thank you. That is a compliment to me. Sometimes I think they may be trying to insult me. But I take it as a compliment. Because I know him, and I know the kind of teaching he does. He, 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 the, the sound teaching he gives, but... Not only is he a sound teacher, but he's able to communicate even difficult things by boiling them down and just giving them to you simply. One of the things that just fascinates me about people like Tom Holly, Stephen Russell, Tommy Peeler, 
Um, I don't know if you know any of these names. J.R. Bronger definitely is one of them. What fascinates me about them is that they can, you know, a lot of people know their names. And so when you hear them for the first time, you may think, oh, wow, this is going to be just intellectual language the entire lesson through. But it's not. Rather, it is them simply preaching the gospel. And they're able to do it, and even the five-year-olds in the audience can understand what they're trying to say. That's what I want to be able to do. That's what I want to emulate. I want to be able to teach in that way. And so we, I, I think we all have people in our lives where we look up to, and, and, we, uh, and when people say, you kind of remind me of that, we take it as a compliment. It should be a compliment. And it should be something that we're striving for, for someone to say, not just, there's something different about them. There, there, there should be that comment made about us, about how we react to certain things. But it should go beyond that. What I really want is for someone to say, that man has Christ in him. Oh, if, some, if, if, if someone said that, first of all, I need to be careful not to get too arrogant. But wow, what a compliment. To be compared to uh, the, the humility of Christ, to, to say that, you're, that you look like the man you're trying, that you're striving to be more like. That's what I'm aiming for. And that's ultimately what we're aiming for with God, is to try and reflect that holiness as best as we possibly can. Now, moving on into verses 5 and 7, that list that we were talking about earlier, in terms of maintenance, we, must, we have to diligently practice this nature and not let go of it. Uh, in verses 5 through 7 of 2 Peter chapter 1, 2 Peter chapter 1, I was still in 1 Peter. In verse 5, it says, Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. Now, again, I think what Peter is trying to, I think I might have said Paul earlier, if I did, I meant Peter. But what I think Peter is trying to suggest or teach here is that we need to not just not just say, oh, this is what we should look like, or, or, or you need to attain this, and then, well, now you're good. Now, now you've arrived. As a Christian, we have, to just, we have to just understand the notion that we will never just arrive until we get to heaven. On this earth, there's never a break. On this earth, while we're still striving to get to heaven, there's never a moment where we can just shut off. Oh, well, <laughs> I can take all of the Christian out of me. You know what that means? I'm, I can just take all of Christ out of me, and I can actually relax now. That's not what we're aiming for. What, we're, what we are aiming for is to look as much like Christ all the time, but also to make sure that it's not just a burden to us and just such a hindrance that we can't stand it, as we were talking about earlier, that we're not suffocated by, by his commandments or what he would require of us. So the question is, when you read through a list like this, something that we are to constantly maintain day by day we have to ask the question do we lack that nature that peter was talking about in in verse uh, in verses 9 through uh, in verse 9 or, or rather in verse uh, 4 that we are partakers of the divine nature remember that if you forget some of the ways that you current that you used to walk and you start to you start to go into that path again the wide gate that leads to destruction you can put away that nature. You can put aside that nature. And so we need to be so very careful. And look at what is implied in verse 8. If you do uh, not 
take on that nature. In verse 8, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. What does that mean if then you don't have those qualities? Those words that he used, unfruitful and useless, that could describe us if we aren't striving for that nature. And so that's, that's one of the reasons that we, we need to so pointedly uh, keep coming back to that application of, are, are, am I trying to be holy as my Father is holy? Well, these qualities ultimately culminate, I think, in uh, the greatest commandments. Look at the end of, the, uh, of verse 7. As he ends all of these things, he says, the last two, and in your brotherly kindness, love. Um, you go to passages that uh, Jesus is talking to uh, certain individuals, uh, specifically in Matthew chapter 22, in verse 36 uh, and, and through 40. What I think it shows us is that same progression. Now, what, what Peter is doing, I think, is getting to that ultimate point of love which is the greatest commandment. But then when someone asks Jesus about what it is, as we see in Matthew chapter 22 and verse 36, he's, uh, as he's asked about what it is, he says to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. And we kind of talked about that this morning. But I think it follows that same progression. That ultimately all of these things you want to look, you want to share that kind of nature, what do you first have to do? you got to take on love. Love for God first, and then love for your neighbor. And then if you do those two things, then what should happen is that all of these other qualities, they just, they're just naturally there. And uh, I, I think that you see that constantly throughout the scriptures. But I think that it's so important to... to come back to this teaching because as you look around at the people in this room, I know everybody's looking at me right now, but if you look around at everyone that's sitting in these pews, this is a family. Everyone who's been baptized into Christ, you are my brother, you are my sister, and I am your brother, and Paige is your sister. And what does that mean if we are a family? What that means is there is work to be done. There is, is absolutely correction that sometimes has to be made. But not because we want to hurt people like we used to be when we were childish and we had siblings that we wanted to belittle. That's not why we're doing it. But because we want them to get to heaven with us. And we're just trying to help each other, holding hands on the way until we get there. Um, as I was looking through this lesson, it, it, it just... Um, I, I've been thinking a lot about the church being God's family. And it's actually what I'm planning on preaching on next week. So just a preview of, of what you'll be hearing next week. But it is, it's so important that we never let that go. That this isn't just, just some extracurricular activity. It's, well, you know, this is just something we do on Sundays and Wednesdays. And then you really, that's our, that is the only segment of holiness that we are striving for throughout the week. Other than that, you know, it's fair game. All bets are off. No, it should be that since this is a family, the same level of maintenance, the same level of hard work and diligence that you put into your blood relatives, what it means is it shouldn't just match it, it should exceed it when it comes to your spiritual family. And again, I don't want to get too much uh, into that lesson. But we need to look at it in that way so that way we will work that hard with that level of perseverance and, and diligence and with that level of gentleness and patience with one another as we're striving to walk in the manner worthy of our calling.
Well, finally, as we conclude the lesson, as he ends in verse 11 of 2 Peter chapter 1, he says, For in this way the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. What is he pointing to? He talks about this eternal kingdom of our Lord, of our King. To, to be with Jesus for an eternity. That's what we need to be looking forward to. That's what we never need to, that's what we need to make sure we never forget. And some, but sometimes I really do think that we, we get so distracted by all of the, by all of the things going on. And, and I know there are lots of things that can distract us in the world. I mean, just in the last few years alone, you had COVID. That was one of the biggest distractions. And I'm not trying to be reductive of the seriousness or the severity of the situation when COVID hit and, and we just, none of us know what to do, knew what to do. There are all kinds of things that could be said, but boy, was it such a distraction. Brethren were more focused on the political leanings of other brethren than just trying to get to heaven with one another. And that was scary. It's a scary time when, when we focus more on the carnal things, on the worldly things, things that are going to fade away so fast instead of actually thinking about the things that will never fade eternity one way or the other, being with God in heaven or not. And so we can't think in terms of tomorrow or next year, but rather we need to think in terms of heaven and eternity. Over in Revelation 22, Revelation 22, beginning in verse 1, or uh, rather beginning in verse 3, Revelation 22 and verse 3, it says, There will no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his bondservants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. Now remember, this is God's, this is the end. You know the end of the story. God gets the victory. Satan didn't stand a chance. Verse 5, And there will no longer be any night, and they will not have need of the light of of a lamp nor the light of the sun because the Lord God will illumine them and they will reign forever and ever. In verse 6, And he said to me, These words are faithful and true and the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show to his bondservants the things which must soon take place. And behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. We read those words, I'm coming quickly. And we think, it's 2,000 years. How is that quickly? We've made this uh, comment in, in one of the Bible classes. I can't remember which one, but what, what does it say uh, in Second Peter chapter 3 at the very end of the epistle? But what is a day in terms of eternity? Just a drop in the bucket. What's a thousand years in, in uh, comparison to eternity? Once again, just a drop in the bucket. But we will be with God for eternity with that one that will illumine us, the one who is the very source of light. And that curse is taken away. It's beautiful language that you see at the end of the story, of God's story, and incidentally at the end of man's story. We need to think in these very terms, where am I headed? He says I'm coming quickly. The older we get, I was, I was, just, listening to, uh, I was just listening to Brother Price's lesson a few weeks ago from, on, uh, I think it was Aging Gracefully or Aging with Grace, uh, which... Um, I really appreciated a lot of the things that he talked about. And, and there's, there's so much throughout Ecclesiastes especially uh, that, that I think are helpful in terms of thinking properly, making sure that you don't get distracted on these physical things. 
but thinking in, in terms of the spiritual, in terms of eternity. Um, and, and as I was listening to that, I, I just, I kept thinking, again, how easy it is to get distracted and to lose sight of the most beautiful promises that have ever been made by anyone or anything. And so God offers those promises to us. So don't forget that as we, as we are striving to get to heaven. We are going to a place that will make all, all, the, all the curses, all of the cares, all of the sufferings, all of the sorrows of this world, it'll make it look like nothing. That's what we see in Romans chapter 8 and verse 18. You're, uh, I'll just go over there very quickly. Romans chapter 8, in verse 18, as he talks about all of these different things, he says, for, Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. Are you anxiously expecting that day? Or are you just biding time? Are you just going through each day thinking, well, thankfully, today's not the day that the Lord came. I think that's, all, I think that's a good way to end the lesson. Uh, I have one more point that I want to go through, but we'll come back to that notion in just a moment. Not only do we need to keep that in mind, not only do we need to remember these promises and act like we actually believe them, but we need to make sure that we lay aside that earthly dwelling. Over in Second uh, Peter again, 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 12, he says, Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present with you. I consider it right, as long as I am in this earthly dwelling, to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you will be able to call these things to mind. So we need to lay aside those things that do hinder us, that do burden us in this race as we are getting to heaven. In, in our run, we need to keep that endurance as we see in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. How do we keep that endurance? How do we endure? Consider Jesus, who endured for us, for you and me. So as we conclude this evening, I want to come back to that notion that we read in Romans chapter 8. When... I, I don't know, a few years ago, uh, well, several years ago now, uh, before I really was serious about the covenant that I had entered into with God, I, I'll just let you know, I, I did not feel that confidence, that assurance. I didn't feel secure in my salvation because, very frankly, I wasn't living up to that walk. I wasn't living in a manner worthy of that calling. And so you'd have storms, and let me tell you, Storms really are nothing in Indiana in comparison to like Alabama. The further south you go, the worse the storms get. Man, the last few weeks, we, we are getting a taste of all of that. And I remember several times in the middle of the night, you would have just the biggest, the loudest thunder I think you could ever hear. And it would shake the foundations of, of the house. And I, would, I remember so many times I would wake up in the middle of the night and I would think, I... I hope and I pray that that's not the Lord coming because I'm not ready. How many of you feel that way tonight? If Jesus came, if you heard the trumpet sound and the heavens being torn aside and Jesus, the king, coming forward and he will have victory, which side would you fall on? One of his victors? Would you share that victory with him? 
Or would you be one of those who are opposing him, who are beaten and are conquered? Do you have that confidence tonight? I I hope you do. If you're a Christian and you feel like you don't have that confidence, let me tell you, you don't have to stay that way. We can have a study together. We can sit down and talk about the encouragements that we find, the promises that God gives us to help us understand that we can uh, that we can live without that same kind of anxiety that the sons of disobedience would have, that people who don't have a close relationship with God uh, have. And we can get to a we can work towards that point where we have that assurance. If you're not a Christian, that assurance isn't for you. The only way that you can utilize that, take advantage of it, is by being baptized into his death, letting go of the old man, and maintaining that faithful living till the day of your death so that way you can have eternal life, glorifying the Savior forever and ever. So if you are subject to the invitation of Christ by any, mean, by any means, please come forward uh, to one of the front rows. Let your need be made known, and we will assist you in any way possible that we can this evening. If you're subject, please come forward as we stand and as we sing.